Isaiah 43. Let's get to the context of where Isaiah fits in. Isaiah was a prophet that ministered in the stage where all of Israel was still in the land. That had the judges, that had their kings. And we're coming to the end of the kings here in the book of Isaiah. Some of the kings are mentioned. During his ministry, between 740 and I think 680, I would have to, yeah, I believe that's right, 60 years that Isaiah ministered, he was a long-term preacher, the northern tribes of Israel had gone into captivity, the ten northern tribes, called Samaria or called Israel in the Bible. And if you read through, you have to understand that term. Ephraim was a tribe, but it also represented the ten tribes. And so he ministered, and during his ministry, they went into captivity through the Assyrians. They were scattered. And understanding that, you understand why he wrote what he did. And he wrote much about the Messiah. Here in chapter 40 to chapter 48 of, of Isaiah, it's a period of time when troubles had had come, but Isaiah is reminding the people of Israel to think about God, to think about his greatness, how awesome God is. And we need to do that in the midst of troubles. (laughs) That's what Isaiah is really saying. He was in the middle of it. Ten tribes had gone into captivity. And so he was urging people to think about God. God has not advocated his throne. God is still on the throne. They had a Mardi Gras yesterday in Sydney. God is still on the throne and he didn't send a meteor down to them (laughs) or a flood or hailstones, but God is still on the throne. God is not mocked. God knows what's going on. And in time, he's going to give these people time to account for what they've done. And as in Israel, And uh, Isaiah could be very despondent. As you go on to the next major prophet, Jeremiah, he he, he ministered a little bit later in time, and he ministered when the the southern two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, went into captivity through the hands of the Babylonians about 130 years later from when um, the the northern tribes went into captivity. And he's called the weeping prophet. He wept for the sins of his people. He wept for knowing what was going to happen to them. And how they were going to literally be butchered in Jerusalem. Murdered everywhere. Taken into captivity. Sent as slaves by the Edomites. And anyone that could grab a Jew who was escaping the, the Babylonians. Grabbed him and sold him as a slave or her. Or children. It was just it was barbaric what happened. A lot of them went as in chains to Babylon. And that's where the few were preserved to come back to inhabit the land. And they're still Jews today. <laughs> so getting the background of the, of the book we're in and where we're at in the book. A newspaper re- reported a suicide. The victim was an 18-year-old girl. Before she took her life, she wrote a note which read, I made an agreement with God that unless life was worth living, I would quit living. Here was a young lady who decided that she wanted life worth living, but on her own terms. 
but alas she found doing her own thing utterly dissatisfying and ultimately destroying even her own life and her will to live. By way of contrast, life is worth living. For those who delight in the Lord, he promises to satisfy the every desire of our heart, does he not? Life is worth living. Eternity's coming. Don't forget it. <laughs> Always remember that when troubles come. The Lord transforms despondency into expectancy. As we read in verse 19 of Isaiah 43, Behold, I will, I will do a new thing, now it shall spring forth. Right in the middle here is hope in chaos. There's hope in despondency. I will do a new thing. And so today we be begin a few messages on God's new thing. And this is the first. God's going to do a new thing. We know about God's new thing. We've read about God's new thing. In that day, it was different to what it is today. Well, the ultimate new thing, yes, is the same, eternity with him. But the new thing in their day was that they're going to go into captivity. Oh, another captivity, the Babylonian captivity. Yes, and, and God names them here. Who is going to do it? But he also says, you're going to come back. He gives a promise that you're going to go there, but you're going to, as a nation, come back. And there's great blessings awaiting so we don't, you know, kick the bucket and say, well, it's all useless and, and there's no, no reason for living and, and do what this young lass did. We say there is hope. We give a message of hope to people around us. And so these verses that we look at this morning offer us three things. The promise of God's new thing, verse 18 and 19, or 14 to 19. The purpose of God's new thing, 19 to 21, and the prospect of God's new thing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of deliverance, for the promise of blessing for eternity. We don't despair when things go wrong, when things don't seem to be what they should be, because we know that you are still in authority on the throne and directing the affairs of the nations. We thank you for this promise, Lord. We thank you for the promise of many other promises that we have. May we lay hold on that which is set before us, as the Lord our Saviour did, looking not and, and considering not the suffering he went through. And we might look unto him as our example, and look unto our Father that will deliver us. We pray your blessing upon the service today. We pray your blessing upon those that can't be here, would love to be here because of illness or sickness or um, the hospital visits, we, we pray that you would meet their mortal needs and their spiritual life might be enriched and encouraged as well. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we see and look first of all, in verses 14 to 19, the promise of God's new thing. There is a divine seed of hope in these words that we find here in Isaiah 43. For God is telling us that he is about to do a new thing. Indeed, he states his intention clearly, as we read in verse 19. Firstly, God promises to, to transcend the things that are past. In verse 18, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. God has done some wonderful things in our lives in the past. But the Lord is saying, let's not consider them. 
And let's consider what he's saying and to whom he's saying it here. He's saying this to the Jewish people. Great things that he'd done for them in the past. Former things. The mighty works of God. He'd liberated them from Egypt. He had preserved them in the wilderness. We remember their occupation of the promised land. These things were in the past. Quite a few years before. The kings were around for about 400 years and then there were the judges. And then was uh, go back further than that. And, and what he's saying here, remember not the things of the past, the former things, neither the, consider the things of old because God is going to do something better. That's what he's saying. He's going to do something better. God will do greater and mightier things for you in the future. And I, I don't know who it was was talking this week. I think it was in a group discussion and talking about what God has laid up for those that love him. We can't begin to imagine the glorious things that we, can, we are promised in the scriptures. We're told to consider them. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God's prepared for them that love him. And uh, by his spirit, it says in the next verse, we can begin to understand them. And you come up with some thoughts and you think, no, that's out of this world. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's in heaven. It's wonderful. Just was it, I think it was last Sunday night, we're considering children and the rapture. The glorious prospect that God might take all the children who are innocent and do not and cannot read or write or understand, well, cannot understand, they haven't come, come to that age of accountability with him to heaven. You think of the population of the world today. That, those sort of thoughts, you can th it doesn't say in scripture that that will happen. <laughs> but we can consider these things. God has a great plan and we can trust him. He's a God of mercy, he's a God of love, he's a God of grace and he will do those things and beyond our imagination. I pray that we consider this. Do great things for God, expect great things from God. You see, it's not our doing, he's going to do it through us. <laughs> he's going to get the glory and it. That is said even in these verses here. So God promises to tr transcend the things that are past. You think they're good, Israel? You think you've been delivered from Egypt? That's wonderful. And sustained in the wilderness without working. You had food every day provided. Your shoes and clothes didn't wear out. And a cloud, a cloud of shade by day, by day and a pillar of fire by night. I gave you the power. <laughs> he, he provided everything. You think that's great? You think going in with Joshua to capture the land and the great stories you have of your forefathers is wonderful? It is, but there's better to come. There's better to come. God promises to transform the things that are past in verses 14 to 17. Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans cry, is in the ships. Don't worry. You're going to go to Babylon. You're going to be taken captive. But Babylon is going to be defeated. Babylon didn't last that long. It only lasted in its prime for about 70 years. It's, am it's amazing what they accomplished in 70 years. 
but God let them, that head of gold, only last a very short time. And he's going to transform the things that are past, he said to the Jews. These verses go beyond the deliverance from Egypt to the deliverance from Babylon that hadn't yet happened but was going to happen. And how sad it is to recognize that a nation <clears throat> that had proved God in his liberation from Egypt, his preservation in the wilderness and his occupation of the land should now find themselves captives again in Babylon. But this is exactly what happened because of their backsliding, because of their rebellion. And let's say the world is in that situation again. Because of their rejection of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, the Saviour from heaven, God's only begotten Son, the world is rejecting and he's going to have to do something. And he's going to do it soon, I believe. He cannot let these things go on in, 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 in indulgence in wickedness, in nations wanting to overtake other nations. In all the wars and rumours of wars, God's not going to allow it to continue. But why, will not peop why won't people believe? The backsliding, rebellious heart of the world is on display in the news every day. God had to send this nation, Israel, down to judgment, to Babylon. But in answer to the prayers of the faithful, God is going to deliver them again. Remember Daniel's prayer. <laughs> he was reading the prophet Jeremiah... And Jeremiah said, you're going to be there for 70 years to fulfill the Sabbaths that you haven't done in the past hundreds of years. And so the 70 years of Sabbaths were going to be fulfilled. And Daniel read that and he realized this is pretty well up. Time's up. We're going to get, get out of here. And, and looking around, we're captives in Babylon. We're slaves in Babylon. How, how can God do that? Well, he said he would. He's going to. And so Daniel started praying. Lord, deliver us. And he set his face toward Jerusalem. He opened his window as at other times, remember, and prayed toward Jer Jerusalem. And a great deliverance was happened through him and through Ezekiel, those who were in the captivity. Uh, the, they were men who were in the captivity. Other prophets were out, the last three minor prophets. Um, I can't get them in. Uh, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Zephaniah, Haggai and Zechariah, those three guys. Those three prophets were the ones that were after the captivity and ministered to the, the returning exiles that come back from Babylon. God hadn't allowed them to take them captive yet, but he's, he's given the promise that they're going to come back from captivity through the faithful prayers of the saints. God's miraculous working on their behalf. And he even God even named the chap the king that would let them loose from the Medes and Persians, but they, they'd taken over the Babylonians, and that was Cyrus, wasn't it? Way before he was born, Cyrus, my servant, will do a job. <laughs> he will release the captives and let them go. And not only would he release them, he would give all the treasures they'd taken from, from Israel to Babylon and give them all the facilities to put up the temple and all the the pots and pans and the saucepans and the kitchen sink <laughs> well better than that the ark <laughs> and the the, the uh, candle bra and things of that that were in the temple he gave them back well, what country surrenders such treasures you talk about hidden treasures to a to a slaves that they had ministering to them and say go home 
back to your back back home to Jerusalem. Fifty thousand people took up the opportunity and went back with Ezra and Nehemiah. And these these are things we're looking at. Isaiah was going to happen, prophesied to happen, and did happen in time. God's new thing. God. We might wake at night time and think of all the bad things that are happening. Have a nightmare if you have um, viewed any news of the Mardi Gras yesterday. Just filth, wickedness, evil in our own country and all the hundreds of thousands that went to it and that viewed it and that even the police were participating in it. New South Wales police. And yeah, and how much of our taxes went to supporting it, cleaning up after it, now, today? You see, you could get despondent, couldn't you, and say, where is God in all this? What's going on? You know, Russia's putting out the feelers, China's on the rise and, and threatening us, and, and a book just released this week by an Australian, Clive somebody, about China and its influence in our country. And uh, he said it like it was. Maybe it's good to read it. <laughs> but the, the threat of China just on the doorstep. And half of our income from overseas comes from China. Remember back times when we wouldn't trade with them, America wouldn't trade with them because of their moral stance, because of their atheistic stance. Now it's right in there. I remember some years ago thinking, why are we doing this? But it gets to a point where you're hooked. You can't get off it as a nation. We are dependent on an atheistic nation for our lifestyle in Australia today. That's where it's come to. Now, I'm not preaching politics. That's just literally how it is. Didn't used to be. But we could look and say, well, where's God? God's working a plan out. God's got it all worked out. <laughs> Don't despair. There's a new thing God's got. He's got going for Israel. He's got going for the world. We see the purpose of God's new thing in verse 19. Well, we, let's read on in verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord who maketh the way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. The way in the sea, Red Sea. Path in the mighty waters, Jordan, through the Jordan. Who bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power invading the promised land to take the promised land that's what's mentioned here these are things of the past and consider not these things these are little things compared with what God's going to do in the future with you as a nation Israel he's talking to them in these verses here and so the purpose of God's new thing in this prophetic language we have devotional truth when God redeems us it's for a purpose isn't it if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart to understand, this purpose of God becomes the supreme goal of, and purpose of our life. Uh, the, uh, Timothy mentioned a little bit this morning, you know, we could, we could get everything and we could gain and uh, uh, as a leader we could try to promote ourselves, but that's not what it's about. The Christian life is one that has been set aside to serve. Do we know the goal of our lives? We might have been saved later in life, but still we have purpose that we might serve him and minister to others. Uh, spiritually, you know, folks, if you've got family members that are non-Christians, you need to pray earnestly for them. 
If you've got friends and neighbours that are not Christians, you need to be seeking the Lord to have an opportunity to talk to these people because that is most important. More important than everything you possess is the souls of people that are around us. Souls of people that are dying and going to hell if they don't repent. Have you got any heart for these people? Let's pray for them earnestly as we come to prayer meeting and, and have time of prayer and think and name different people that we need to pray for, who need to get saved before it's forever too late, eternally too late. Yes, we have a goal in our life. Once we're saved, we have a different worldview, we have a different destiny, and we're going for it, I pray. God's purpose is to, to satisfy his own people. In verse 20, we read, The beast of the field... Uh, shall honour me and the dragons and the owls because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert reminds us of the time past as they were in the wilderness to give drink to my people and my chosen God wants to satisfy and meet the needs of his people and in so doing he meets the needs of the dragons and the owls in the desert as well God's greatest delight is to satisfy his people Matthew 5 7 or 5 6 reads blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled if you seek god and seek his purpose you shall be filled god wants to do a new thing in our lives too spiritually mentally emotionally physically vocationally he he does these things in our life when we are saved when we become his children and uh a new life is set out before us. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you become a Christian, all things become new. I pray that it has. If, if, if your vision, if your view of the future is not new since you become a Christian, something's wrong. Something's wrong inside. Maybe you need to examine yourself, as the scriptures say, whether you be in the faith. Have you got new goals? In Psalm 107 verse 8 we read, For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. If we that have that hunger for righteousness, God will satisfy. God will get us into the word and reading about his word and into Christian service in some means or manner. God's purpose is to magnify his own person, not only to satisfy his people, but to magnify his person. In verse 21 we read, For this people have I formed for myself, that they shall show forth my praise. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, this truth shines forth with increasing brilliance. And as you get to the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of what? Of who? Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Life should be all about the Lord Jesus, not about us. It's about him. When we get to heaven, eternity will be all about the Lord Jesus, not about us. It's about him. And as we look around the world, it's all about me. Unsafe people, it's all about us. It's what I want to do with my life. It's your life. You do as you please with it. No, it's not. God owns everything, does he not? He created it all and he allowed us to be born in time. And to exist. And so God's purpose is to magnify his own person. In Matthew, or 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it tells us this. 
Ye are, he's talking to Christians, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking to the church here, a peculiar people that ye should show forth his praises or the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Purpose of the church? To, sh to bring forth his praises, the one who has called us out of darkness. In Matthew 5.16 it reads, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And in the book of Revelation several times, or many times, that to, to him be honour and glory and majesty. And it goes on with other descriptive words speaking of God. God's purpose is to magnify his own person that we might look up to him and fall before him on our knees before the wonderful and mighty God. Back in verse 7 of the same chapter of Isaiah, we read, Even everyone who is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. God's done it for his glory. And praise God for that. Let's never forget that the chief end of man is to what? Glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So says that thing over in England. What was it? <laughs> that, that's part of it that's, that's used in that. Thirdly, we don't only see the promise of God's new thing, that he will bring them out of Babylon once he's taken them there and put them back in the land. Not only the and secondly, the purpose of God's new thing, to satisfy his people, to magnify his person. Thirdly, the prospect of God's new thing in verse 22. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary to me, O Israel. So <clears throat> talking of southern and northern tribes, the whole 12 of them, you've not called upon me. If we're to enter into the promise and purpose of God's new thing in our lives, then we must recognize certain facts. Indeed, there is no prospect of realizing God's new thing without perceiving these two things that are mentioned in 22 to 26. They're of much importance. The first is in verse 22 to 24, the failure of man to cope. They hadn't done what they should have done. These verses make sad reading, but they're true, a true reflection. Though God has done all these things for you, Israel, you've not honoured me. You've not glorified me. You've not called upon me. In verse 23, thou hast not brought, and underline the word not, what they hadn't done and what they should have done. They had not brought me the small cattle or the sheep of thy burnt offerings. Neither hast thou honoured me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money. Neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve or burden me with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. Instead of doing what they should have done, they were wearying God with their sin. This people that have been so blessed, we who have been so blessed by Christ, in Christ Jesus, are we wearying God with our sins? Hey, we celebrate the Lord's table. We celebrated it this morning. And it's to remind us of the sacrifice of what he has given to pay for our sins. 
we are no different than Israel. We weary God at times with our sin, do we not? If we're not saved, we weary God with our sins that we sin. Read Romans chapter 3. They have all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And there's a whole half a chapter on how wicked the man, man's heart is. And God looks down and he's wearied with the sins of the world. With all that he's done for them in the millennia that have passed, the millennials that, millenniums that have passed, they still weary him with their sins. They still haven't come to God. Though he has done great and wonderful things, they still keep on sinning. And you say, yeah, that's the world. Now, hang on a minute. What about us Christians? Are we a bit like Israel too? Yes, it tells us in Romans chapter 7. In the last half of Romans chapter 7, there, Paul concluded it like this. He said, a wretched... Now, this, this is an apostle speaking. This is one that had half of the New Testament given to him to write down. He said, a wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We have a constant struggle, as Tony mentioned this morning in the adult class, with ourselves. Our struggle's not with the devil, our struggle's with our own selves and our own sin, even as Christians. When I would do good, Paul said, what did he say? Evil is present with me. I plan to do it, I you know, set out to do it, the right thing, and then all of a sudden I find myself doing the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thing, going to the wrong places. A wretched man, who can deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ. Now, if we were God, we would have done away with the world a long time ago. <laughs> but he is long-suffering and patient. He's a merciful God. And in the end of it all, he's going to reward us mightily <laughs> for doing so little, really, as compared with what he's done for us. We see different aspects of Israel's failure here. They failed to intercede in verse 22. They didn't call upon the Lord. They failed in dedication in verse 23 in the sacrifices they, were, they should have and didn't give. Thirdly, they failed in ministration in verse 24. We read there that thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve or burden me with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. That's what we've done. And in our ministration of our life, in doing what we should have, we haven't done. We've failed the Lord. And like Peter, we need to say at times, O wretched man, or with Paul, O wretched man. And Peter said, you know, Lord, I, I am guilty, I am guilty. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. The failure of man to cope because of his sinful heart that goes on and on, sinning. Even when we are his children, we are doing this. And secondly, under the prospect of God's new thing, yes, we can say we have failed, but for the grace of God, there go we. But secondly, the nature of God's care, the failure of man to cope and the nature of God's care, there is good news, isn't there? Verse 25 and 26. In simple terms, Isaiah teaches us that God is waiting to forgive our sins. 
I, even I, am he who does... What does he do? He blotteth out our transgressions for mine own, for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. That's what God will do. <laughs> Praise him for that, that he blots out our transgressions. Let's go over to chapter 44 and verse 22 of Isaiah. We read there, I have blotted out like a thick cloud thy transgressions, and like a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Even though Israel was in the throes of going into captivity, some of them had gone, the other two tribes were going to go, God said, I will blot out thy transgressions. And today, what has he promised us? If we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. New Testament. If you go into Isaiah 45, over to Isaiah 45 and verse 22 and 23. He said there, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. I wonder where the New Testament writer got his words from. In Galatians, it's given the same. At verse 23, but look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. The cry of the Lord is, come unto me, today in the New Testament. All those that have burdens, come to me. All those that have sinned and are burdened down by the sin and the guilt, come to me and I will forgive. Chapter 55 of Isaiah and verses 6 and 7, we read there, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he, the Lord, will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What will God do for us? Great new thing. He does forgive us in the future. He forgives us of the past. He blots out our transgressions that we've committed against him. Verse 26 of Isaiah 43, Put me in remembrance, let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Put me in remembrance. In Hebrew, this literally means to bring back to mind the promises on which we can agree. And we can agree with God, and we need to agree with God. He, he has done it all. He has provided himself a sin sacrifice for us that we might be saved his son has died for us god always keeps his promises doesn't he and his promise that the future is bright as the promises of god and the new things that he will do in the future are beyond description he will bring the nations in this world that are atheistic and against him to their knees He's going to bring them literally to their knees he's going to wipe out so many of them before they do that it is said that Iran and Turkey and Egypt and all of them are going to surrender to the Lord in the future. What a blessing to see where they're at now. You say, it can't be possible. God said it's going to happen. And that's a bright promise. That's a new thing God's going to do. He's going to break the hard-heartedness of the atheistic countries and bring them to their knees. God has got a new thing going on. And... Uh, <laughs> I, many years ago, I preached a, the, new, the New World Order. We did the world's New World Order. Then we did God's New World Order. <laughs> and they're very different. They have different leaders. <laughs> but God's going to bring it to pass. 
And you, he's started in our lives. Listen to these verses in the New Testament. The Lord said, don't put new wine into old wineskins. New wine, New Testament, new teaching. The old is done away. It's been fulfilled in the new and anything repeated there in the new from the old is what God wants for us today. Matthew 9, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. This cup, and we mentioned it this morning, is the New Testament in my blood. We have the New Testament that the old saints didn't have in the Old Testament. We have been given a new man in Colossians 3.10. We have put on the new man. We are new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8.13. And it's interesting that that word new is used a lot of times in Hebrews talking to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians. In that he saith in Hebrews 8.13... A new covenant he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away, but he's made a new covenant with us, based upon the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the Jews need to recognize the new covenant, and if they want to read it, read it in Jeremiah 31 for them, that is, as a nation, but... The church is based on the blood of Christ as their new covenant will be as well. In Hebrews 9, 15 and 16, he is the mediator of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus. It's new. In Hebrews 10, 20, he has consecrated for us a new and a living way. We are on a new path. I pray that we are and that though all seems to be heading in the wrong direction in this world, God's got a new plan for it all. And it's in 2 Peter 3.13. New heaven and a new earth. And in Revelation 2.17, a new name written. We sing that song, a new name written down in glory. There's a new song we sing, now we're saved. There's a new Jerusalem, there's a new city. And there's all these things. And in, uh, in the last, second last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21.5, it reads... He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. We have the prospect of God's new thing through salvation. We are going to, without question, participate in it. We'll be a part of it if you're here and saved. But if you're not saved, you're not going to be part of it. You're part of the old way that's perishing and will go down to the pit. Get saved today. Trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Believe on him. Confess him, as it says in Scripture. But don't despair. Don't say like the man who ate Limburger cheese. I don't know what it is. I might have eaten it sometime. And they had beards, two of them. And one, when he'd finished eating, got a stuck in his beard, of course, he said, the whole world stinks. The other fellow said, the whole world smells so good I could eat it because <laughs> he liked the cheese. What do you like? <laughs> the whole world stinks? Yeah, it's rotten, rotting in sin. And unless the Lord come and did, comes and does something about it, it will. But he's not going to let that happen. We've got the promise of his new thing, new world, a new world order. <laughs> A new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and a new life in Christ. We've got everything new. You like new things? 
become a Christian, live the Christian life as we ought to. Look to the future as as bright as the promises of God. Let's pray. Thank you for your word. I pray that we might take the new thing that's on offer by grace. Are we saved through faith? It's not of works, lest we should boast. And Lord, you said to Israel, though all looked bad, we're going to go into captivity. Hundreds of thousands of us are going to get killed. But there is another promise. You're going to come back to the land. And so we too, Lord, have the promises given in the New Testament to Christians. May we find them a blessing. May we go on our way rejoicing like the Ethiopian eunuch did when he found salvation, knowing that there are wonderful things awaiting those who believe. Bless us as we part. In Jesus' name, amen.